look, you guys, you know, I'm so excited about tonight. You know why? Uh, why? Well, I'll tell you, because of the Frenchy French, the men, uh, the France, the history, the men, the culture, the men. Okay, let's forget about culture. Let's talk about the men. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh, you know, uh, Toppy, I have it on good authority that our uh, senior showgirl here, she's, um, well, she's moonlighting on us. Did you hear about this? Well, you know, I did, but t- tell the audience. Well, let's uh, their business. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, while most of us like to try to get out of town this time of year, it's a little harder said than done these days. And, uh, well, Gertie's got a friend who's a pilot. And uh, let's just say that she knows where the bodies are buried and uh, might owe a favor or two. But, uh, it, uh, <laughs> but you anyway. But, uh, you know, Gertie is going to be working at a gentleman's club out in the Midwest. Um, It's got a theme. Do you want to tell them what it's called, Gertie? The Bunker. (laughs) And we're not talking Archie. No, look, the clientele, well, they're a little handsy. But listen, DJ, the money is decent oh well that's <laughs> the that's the important i gotta wear a thing. mask though i gotta wear a mask uh, yes please hey uh, gertie can you uh, get those pretty little tootsies down to the stage because these folks oh. would like to hear about our movie oh 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 yeah i'll be right down okay okay here we go here we go bye-bye i'll be right downstairs right downstairs okay there she goes she's very excited about going on hiatus dj Ooh. All right, Dad. Gertie, you ready? Jerry is an American expatriate struggling to make a living as a painter on the streets of Paris. While out at a club with a recent customer, he's charmed by a young beauty. But isn't she the one his friend has been talking about at the cafe downstairs? Will he win her heart? Will his mysterious investor turn the tide? Grab your sketchbook and chapeau. It's time for Gene Kelly in An American in Paris. Hit it, garçons! What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Well, you know, Toppy, I don't know about you, but I have been enjoying this little taste of fall that we've been getting lately. Oh, absolutely. Me too. I mean, I mean, I, I shudder to say the word fall or autumn yet. It's just that here... In this area of the world, uh, you and I have been experiencing uh, much cooler temperatures than the recent heat wave that seemed to go on forever. Yeah, and uh, I was certainly glad for the relief. So, um, mm. we and Tudor says it's hot as heck where he is. Oh my! Down there, I mean, on, she is. down in the Middle Atlantic, there in the Baltimore's. You know, yep. um, we've been keeping busy lately, getting our ducks in a row, and we finally got the bank to say, hey, you could start that money pit now. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, now the money pit, Nate. <laughs> Tell them what the money pit is. Well, it's where you do your. It's where your business goes after you've done your business, <laughs> and um, it's it's uh, what we country folks here like to say: our cement pond. No, I don't mean to say that. Um, it's your uh, septic it's, system. It's a, yeah, a cistern. Is it a sister? What's a sister? I don't know. A cistern is a French well. We're going to talk a lot about France tonight. Hey. Yeah. Sister. <laughs> oh, so, hey, Toppy, I was going to ask you there. Out there in the Pickle Hollows, I'm just kind of curious. How are things going to be going at Cromwell? Because uh, I've got a nephew and... Uh, well, let's just say that he's going to the drugstore school, and um, okay. you know he uh, he's been told they're going to try things out for the beginning of the semester. They're going to go back to the dorms, and um, they're still fully expecting that they'll have to send them home. But we're going to give it a go and see how it lasts. Yeah. Well, every morning, DJ, I get local news here in Pukohau because I listen to the radio. And I'll tell you, Cromwell University has this plan, and, uh, you know, there's another college around here. <laughs> Can't remember what it's called. But um, uh, they're both planning on bringing kids back to classes, and they're going to pile all these kids back into dorms and living quarters and wherever. <laughs> and, uh, well... Best of luck to him. Best of luck to him. I don't know what to say. I have no idea. Oh, uh, it sounds a little bit like uh, when you were a kid and you were first going to the public pool with mom. You sink or swim, and uh, uh, yeah. bad joke, I guess. But hey, I don't know. you know that that is our our um, legacy here at an old theater that was once home to vaudeville. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Toppy, let's get on topic. What have we got? All right. It's an American in Paris, a musical from the 50s, starring Gene Kelly. And uh, this was a certified bona fide hit. But DJ, it was 1951 when the world saw this movie. Tell us what was going on. Back in 1951. That's a long time ago, folks. 1951. All right. So, the world in 1951. And uh, there was quite a bit that went on. We'll try to speed through this. The first ever UN headquarters opened in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tall building. Very modern. The last daily narrow-gauge passenger train, the San Juan Express. It was retired by Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad, so it was a blast place in the country that you could take the train to and from the city. Gotta get in your car now. Hmm. Uh, in the Midwest, Jack in the Box, fast food chain restaurant. Uh, founder uh, Robert P. O. Peterson started them out in San Diego that year. Uh-huh. I got to tell you, they must have never made their way east, because I ain't never seen one jack-in-the-box. It's funny how that works. You know, they, the, you know, we have bridges over the Mississippi, but they're still territorial borders. No. Uh, the 22nd Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, limiting presidents to two terms, is ratified. Well, you know, some of us would like it to be one. Uh, Hank Ketchum's best-selling comic strip, Dennis the Menace, appeared in papers across 
across the U.S. for the first oh, time. Oh, boy. Uh, by the way, uh, one year before Hank Ketchum, uh, The Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz premiered, oh. 1950. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein's The King and I opened on Broadway in 51, and it ran for three years at the time. That's going to be talked about later. It's a legacy of musicals, and uh, it's the no. first Rodgers and Hammerstein musical specifically written for an actress. So it, it did not, uh, you know, get written. Uh, you know, converted from a book. It was written, the play was written for Gertrude Lawrence in the lead. And uh, in Joplin, Missouri, the George Washington Carver National Monument became the first U.S. National Monument to honor an African-American in 51. Walt Disney's 13th animated film, Alice in Wonderland, premiered in London that year. Good Lord, think of that, folks. Uh, 1951, Disney's 13th animated film. And it's kind, uh, of, kind of awesome. It is. And uh, we just watched uh, one of the more recent installments in that with Johnny Depp. It was pretty good. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter plays the Red Queen in it. Uh, in San Francisco, 48 nations sign a peace treaty with Japan to formally end the Pacific War. Oh, oh it's so nice. It's 1951, and formally we're going to end the... Uh, what's the um, I have a serious question, mm-hmm. folks in the chat room, DJ. Uh, the end of the Pacific War, are they talking about the Korean War? What are they talking about? It's a good question. I don't know. And uh, finishing out 51, uh, Shopper's World, which is one of the first shopping malls in the U.S., opened in the, I think it's Boston suburb of Framingham, Massachusetts. I still remember their theme song. Shopper's World, Shopper's World, Shopper... (coughs) No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Never mind. Continue, DJ. Oh, and a uh, a program that's near and dear to many people's hearts, and uh, a fellow New Yorker, Lucille Ball's "I Love Lucy." It premiered on CBS in 1951. Excellent. And by the way, folks, Lucille Ball's uh, <laughs> uh, home where she was born in New York, uh, not far from Pickle Hollow. No. Just saying. Direct dial coast-to-coast telephone service began in 51. So, you know, all those years you saw in the movies, they would dial up Sarah. Well, that came to an end in 51. And uh, the Marshall Plan, that uh, plan that helped the uh, European nations rebuild after the war. Well, after distributing more than $13.3 billion in 1951, imagine $13.3 billion. The Marshall yeah. Plan expired in 1951. So the um, handouts were over. Um, that was USA money going to rebuild Europe. I got to say, I don't think um, America gets enough credit um, as much as they get mm, criticism for dropping two atomic bombs, which is horrible. But we did do a lot to help after that. And we didn't go crazy and use the bomb 50 other places. Um, So I'd I'd like a little credit for the U.S. here. 
that pumped money back into Europe to help rebuild it, even after, you know, we blew them the hell up. I I think we need a little credit. Anyways, uh, kids, 1951, uh, there's some uh, people that were born there. You're going to recognize them. We're going to zip through Christy Alley. Now, uh, Kurt Russell. No, a uh, Goldie Hawn's hubby, Tommy Hilfiger. Wait a minute, DJ. You got is it that true? Backwards. Kurt Russell's Goldie Hawn's hubby. Wait. A okay, fine. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyways, yes. There you go. Tommy Hilfiger never married uh, to Goldie Hawn. Uh, anyways, Tommy Hilfiger was another guy. Uh, Horseheads, New York. He was born. Yeah, he was a fashion designer. Uh, anyways, oh, Tony Danza. Yep. Uh, Joey Ramone. He was with the Ramones. Al Franken, you know, he was that wacky U.S. senator <sighs> that had to retire. Sally Ride, first American a woman astronaut. Dr. Jill Biden, uh, U.S. second lady. What is that, DJ? She's the vice president's wife. Okay, very good. Richard Thomas, John Boy, you know him. Angelica Houston. There, these people are all born in 1951. I'm not finished. <laughs> Cheryl Ladd, Robin Williams, Eddie McClurg. Now, do we really know who Eddie McClurg is, DJ? Edie, yeah, she's come up in a couple of oh, our Edie, shows. Edie, Edie, mm-hmm. Edie. Yeah, okay. she, she she was the neighbor lady in uh, the Hogan family, that show that Valerie Harper started oh, on. Yeah. Okay. She, she was also the wife on WKRP and uh, Herb, uh, Herb Tarlick. That was his wife, the little redheaded lady. Oh, okay. And uh, she was in a couple of other films, including Ferris Bueller's Day Off as the okay. uh, the woman in the uh, vice principal's office. <laughs> Folks, that was uh, Edie McClurg. <laughs> uh, make note of that. Uh, also, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, Catherine Hicks, Michael Keaton, Gene Smart, Cassandra Peterson. Do you know who she is, folks? Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra Peterson is Elvira, born in 1951. Mark Hamill. Mark. Oh, we got some Marks here. Mark Hammond, Mark Harmon, Mark Summers. <laughs> All born. 51. Finally. <laughs> Beverly D'Angelo and Treat Williams. DJ, 1951, American in Paris, went up against what movies? Alrighty, so 51 was an important year for yours truly, especially. Uh, you know, part of Matinee Minutia's lore is that this was inspired by my father's childhood. He had an unhappy home, and he used to escape to the movies instead of going to school. And in 51, uh, well, that's when the, the family started coming apart at the seams. But he was still happy when he had his popcorn and his candy at the movies. And in American Paris, it was released in November of 51, November 11th. So it came out just before the holidays. And hmm. it was number 11. Go figure. We loved it. We love it. Um, in 1951's money, it grossed $4.5 million. Now, uh, the films that actually were the top of the box office in 51 included Quo Vadis, which was at $30 million that year. That starred Robert Taylor and Deborah Carr. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. Vatus. All right. What else? Number two was David and Bathsheba, and that was 14 million. That starred the uh, the handsome gentleman, Mr. Gregory Peck and Susan yeah, Hayward. Yeah. yeah. But now we get a, a another musical. We sure do. And number three... It brought in 11 million. It was Showboat, which had Catherine Grayson, Howard Keel, and Agnes Moorhead. Now, Tapia, I'm only going to pause for a second. Those last two names, do they mean anything to you? Well, Agnes Moorhead was uh, bewitched Mama's mother. She sure was. And she was also on, was it Twilight Zone or Outer oh, Limits? Several, yes. Yeah. Yeah, she was on Twilight Zone. All right. Who's, who's Howard Keel? Oh, my goodness. This is some 80s trivia for you folks. Mr. Howard Keel played um, Miss Ellie on Dallas, her second husband. Oh, all right. <laughs> ah. all right. JR's stepdaddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else we got here? All right. So just one better than America in American in Paris, number 10. We want to know what's what came close, you know, uh, mm-hmm. was the great Caruso. Now, this made four point five million. And, and it was an Italian opera star that juggled two women suitors. So not too terribly a different story. And uh, one lower on the rung beyond American in Paris, number 12, was The Day the Earth Stood Still, a personal favorite. This one mm-hmm. was $3.7 million and it starred Hugh Marlowe and Patricia Neal. Now, where do you remember that name from, Toppy? Well, good old Patricia Neal. She was Mama Walton in The Homecoming, the TV movie that launched The Waltons. She no. sure was. No, Toppy, uh, before we actually discuss who was in this program, would we like to tease them with a little bit of the story? Play the trailer. This is Paris, and I'm an American who lives here. I'm a painter. All my life, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Brother, if you can't paint in Paris, you better give up and marry the boss's daughter. Oh, I have a lot of good friends in Paris. A lot of very good friends. And I am one of them. I'm a concert pianist. That's a pretentious way of saying I'm uh, unemployed at the moment. (laughs) I like Paris. It's a place where you don't run into old friends, although that has never been one of my problems. Strangely enough, I made a friend over here once. I worked for him. His name was Henri Borel. You know, the French music hall star. Do you remember him? I remember, because that is me. Begin today, you'll find it nice. The quickest way to paradise. I'll build the stairway to paradise. She's an exciting girl. She's like a sunbeam. When she walks down the street, everybody feels a little better. Wonderful. Marvelous. She should care for me.
Paris is a mood, a longing you didn't know you had until it was answered. Paris is like, it's like love or art or faith. It can't be explained, only felt. Just listen to my heart go pit-pat. It started from the start, I felt like that. Hum it, strum it, sing it, drum it, what a thrill I'm getting from it. Okay, <laughs> folks, if you recognized a lot of those tunes, it's because they were from this movie, but they were from other things. American in Paris was basically a review which had music by Gershwin from many sources, and uh, that's why you recognize so many films, uh, so many songs. Now, um, we... We need to talk about Gene Kelly first and foremost. Uh, DJ, I got to tell you, it was most interesting watching this movie and learning about Gene Kelly. I didn't know a whole hell of a lot about him. Oh, by the way, I got to tell Cronehaven, she's waiting to hear about Oscar Levant. (laughs) Apparently, she's got a thing for him. We'll get to Oscar in a few minutes. Uh, but uh, Gene Kelly, did you know much about him before this movie, DJ? I know that he was in a lot of the films that were in the air when my dad was growing up. So I had seen probably a good half dozen, even before I knew of modern stars growing up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I know he's from Pittsburgh. And he, he is. And even after he was no longer in films, he was working behind the scenes as a choreographer. Yeah. When he kind of was done with his very athletic dancing, you know, you got to be kind of a young man. That doesn't mean he stopped dancing, but he certainly slowed down as a dancer. And he got in, very interested in film production later on which is where he spent the remainder of his career. And he directed movies. He helped other productions with their dance numbers. And he was behind the scenes. And he really loved being behind the scenes and directing. And he loved movie production. So he he, he spent the last part of his life doing exactly what he wanted to do. But early on, folks, here's the... Here's just an amazing story. Uh, he was born in Pittsburgh, and he uh, was the third son of his parents who, you know, at that time, um, were just not talking about a family that had a hell of a lot of money. And uh, But when uh, Gene Kelly was eight, uh, his mother enrolled him and his younger brother James in dance classes, and they, oddly enough, didn't like it uh, because they were very neighborhood. Everybody spent their days outside beating each other up. That's just what that's just what boys did in cities like Pittsburgh, and they didn't really want to be uh, called sissies. Because they danced. But the thing is that 
early exposure sort of stuck with him, even though he he didn't want to admit it. Um, and he went on um, uh, uh, to to leave high school at age sixteen and go into Pennsylvania State College. He wanted to be a journalist. That's what he wanted. Uh, but the uh, stock market crash in 1929 put a halt to everything, and all he concentrated on was supporting his family, which is what families did in the Depression. They did whatever they could, but this dance stuff uh, that he did with his um, his brothers, um, uh, his, his, particularly his younger brother, Fred, they realized that they could enter a lot of contests and win prize money, and they did uh, by dancing. And his younger brother, Fred, taught Gene Kelly how to tap dance. So they just self-taught, I mean, primarily, and they went on to perform in nightclubs and things like that. But that's that's the way he was helping his family um, along. So after the the stock market crash, he did eventually get back into the University of Pittsburgh. He just wanted to study economics. But he um, uh, joined the university's cap and gown club. What was that? Well, it was, <laughs> they did musical productions. And... After graduating from college, Gene Kelly continued to be active with the Cap and Gown Club, and he served from the as the director from 34 to 38. So he obviously had a lot of interest in this dancing stuff. But he went to the University of Pittsburgh Law School. He wanted to become a lawyer at that point. Um, so... His brothers and his family opened up a dance studio, meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, and they it was eventually renamed the Gene Kelly Studio of Dance. And this little studio opened in Johnstown, Pennsylvania in 33, and Gene Kelly started teaching kids uh, what he knew. This is while he's an undergraduate law student, and he's teaching kids at the school. So, <clears throat> eventually, <laughs> Kelly started to understand that this interest he had in dancing and performing far outweighed any desire he wanted to be uh, a lawyer or anything else. So, he increased his focus on performing, and... Um, uh, and and also teaching. He was very interested in teaching boys and girls how to dance. And um, this is really what he did for a number of years. He tried to find work in New York because that's where people go when they want to be in showbiz. But it kind of fizzled. He returned to Pittsburgh and he didn't give up. And so in Pittsburgh, he started choreo uh, doing the choreography for a number of productions. That led him e eventually back to Broadway, where he was choreographing and also performing in Broadway 
productions. It all coalesced and built up, and um, he became more and more well-known. Eventually, well, somebody in Hollywood uh, um, saw him and said, this guy's great. He started getting into Hollywood productions, and um, more and more, he had opportunities to choreograph not for other people, but for himself. That was the the big change that happened. He was no longer teaching others, showing them how to do things. He was choreographing great things that he performed, and um, this was his passion. This is what he lived for, and he just kept doing it and got better and better and uh, eventually became established in Hollywood. He did For Me and My Gal in 42. That was with Judy Garland. Um, he, did, he did some acting as well because sometimes the studios had nothing prepared. And if they didn't have a dance or musical prepared, they just stuck him in a B-movie drama. So he did some straight acting. Um, also, uh, then he, uh, took the male lead and Cole Porter's do Barry was a lady in 1943 with Lucille Ball. Mm. And, um, then went on, uh, to just gain greater prominence and, uh, bigger roles. He had a minor period, uh, at the very, very end of world war two, where he enlisted, um, and then came back to Hollywood. He did Anchors Away. Now, you'll recognize that name in 1945, and uh, that was with Frank Sinatra, which he collaborated with at least two or three more times. That's the movie that had that animated dance sequence with Jerry Mouse um, from uh, from Hannah and Barbera. You know what was those? What was that cat and mouse team called? Oh, Tom and Jerry. Yes, Tom and Jerry. Yeah. So everyone remembers that. That was pretty early on in a succession of amazing movies that came out with Gene Kelly. And we're talking primarily now. We're talking forty six to fifty two. Um, he did Living in a Big Way. Uh, he did Easter Parade. Um, he did Take Me Out to the Ball Game. These are all big deal movies. Um, and that eventually led to probably his greatest success, An American Paris. It won six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And then... I think just a year later, folks, singing in the rain. And if that didn't just put the seal on his mark, um, then uh, nothing would. And he went on further. So many movies where he uh, directed the dance sequences, created the choreographer, and just became this amazing star he sang he danced he acted um so uh and then later on 
uh, as he slowed down as a dancer, he went on to just become more and more interested in film production. He wanted to be behind the scenes and, uh, and that's that's how he lived out the rest of his life. He would appear frequently on television and in a few movies along the way. And the very last movie that he appeared in was uh, Xanadu. Yes, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit here. But just to wrap up, Mr. Kelly, he had eight film roles in the five years prior to American in Paris. And... Another eight films in the next five years, so he kept quite busy in this period of his career. Yeah. Um, he was said to have been a perfectionist. He would rehearse over and over and over. He was absolutely committed to his art, and he demanded a lot of everyone who had to rehearse with him. But by all accounts that I've read, he was not an a-hole. He was respectful. He demanded a lot, but he was not a jerk by any any means. He was a very nice man. And um, Fred Astaire, he particularly admired. Fred Astaire was already, if you can believe it, already retired by the time Gene Kelly came on the scene. So we're talking about a big gap there in Hollywood dancing musicals. Mm. Fred Astaire uh, completed kind of his life's work. Um, and then Gene Kelly came along and... <sighs> He was completely different from Fred Astaire, but but Gene Kelly worshipped Fred Astaire. But he realized, I can take Fred Astaire and bring him along and create something new because I'm not Fred Astaire. I'm Gene Kelly, and I'm going to do something new. We are at about the halfway mark in the show, so we're going to take a brief break and stop by the concession stand where Gertie is serving up all our favorite treats. Meanwhile, please enjoy this clip from 2008 of actress Leslie Caron talking about working with Gene Kelly during An American in Paris. Phone call of Gene Kelly is coming to Paris. He'd like to meet you. I had never seen Gene Kelly. I'm afraid to say I hadn't even heard of him because uh, there wasn't all that much, uh, con uh, you know, contact with America since the beginning of the war. I went uh, to be polite. And he was very charming, very respectful. And uh, he said, I'd like to make a test. Okay, why not? <laughs> so we made the test, and I absolutely forgot about it, because all I wanted was to be a classical ballet dancer. Then suddenly there was a phone call. They've picked up your option. They want you in Hollywood to make the film in three days. I really was upside down for three days. <laughs> trip took about 30 hours and I think after 30 hours you're just a zombie. I was underage so I had to have my mother and we were taken to restaurant La Rue by my new agent and there I saw Gregory Peck and I had the hugest, the biggest steak that I ever saw in my life and I couldn't eat it of course, my stomach was quite shrunk. I'd gone through the war, and uh, 
going through the warm and malnutrition and getting thinner and thinner. <laughs> Milo, what a pleasant surprise. Jack, say hello to Milo. Hello, Milo. Hello, Jack. I had anemia when I arrived, but Jean defended me and said, listen, let's make it much lighter. So I was one day in bed, one day shooting. You certainly not without your nerve. No, 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 don't get angry. This was perfectly harmless. I haven't been able to take my eyes off you since I walked into this smoke factory. I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't know what a camera looked like. I didn't know how to speak lines. I didn't know how to speak English. So as far as I can judge, my performance is just one huge question mark. What am I doing here? <laughs> Jean certainly looked at Leslie as a kind of protege. She actually turned 19 during the production. Jean was 38, which obviously is a span. But I think he felt very protective of her and, and wanted to see that she was okay. Honey, believe me, I'm no enemy. He called me Lester the Pester. <laughs> because it rhymed, but he really was, you know, he loved me a lot. Jean was my guide. Vincent wasn't a very communicative person. I absolutely adored him. He called me Angel, and that was enough. But Gene was uh, like Big Brother. But he, he absolutely felt that Fred Astaire was a genius, and all he wanted to do was carry on the tradition of, of music and choreography into a new era, which he certainly did. There, there's The two of them are very different. Gene Kelly is very athletic. Um, he was... He had a presence that Fred Astaire did not have. Fred Astaire was slight and, and um, very polished with his top hat and coattails. Gene Kelly, when he danced, he was in a, a shirt and pants that, that, well, one might wear in France. So it was very different. Um, and Gene Kelly coaxed Fred Astaire out of retirement more than once to come back in a movie he was either producing or directing. Mm -hmm. And um, so they had a great deal of respect for each other. I tend to think of um, Fred Astaire as more sort of a ballroom dancing type of person, and, and Gene Kelly is more like the West Side Story type of dancing. Yeah, although, you know, West Side Story came after Gene Kelly, the, the height of Gene Kelly's uh, career. Hmm. But yeah, Gene Kelly, you know, like I say, I mean, he, he he didn't need the old Hollywood top hat and coattails. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, let's talk about Leslie Caron, DJ. Sure. Now, just before we do that, I'm going to play a clip. And this is from uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson in 1975. And you're going to hear Gene Kelly talking about uh, the beginnings of his dancing. It made you popular with the girls, if you're a good dancer. And my kid brother, not my older brother, my kid brother, Fred, I know Ed, you know Fred. The, the, my kid brother, Fred, taught me how to dance. And I was a big shot with the girls. But I, too, was truthfully shy. I couldn't go into a, a room and say, may I have the next dance. In those days, when you put your arm around a girl, you had to dance with her. You know, the, you just didn't go up and put your arm around a girl. And it was a, it was a form of courtship. 
and uh, dancing was the, the way to meet a girl and the way yeah. to get close to a girl. Nowadays, contact is out. You no. know, if you, if you touch, you're disqualified. Can I have this dance? And they're over yeah. that side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different, different world, but it's nice. A lot of people make a lot of money. Well, it was a way of socializing. You get to know the girl and talk and everything. Oh, these kids don't talk to each other when they dance. Yeah. They just the wait music's goodbye. too loud. Something happens. I don't know what it is. Well, it, just... well, it's too dark to read a newspaper, and it's too loud to talk, and uh, <laughs> the food's no good, so you better get up there and dance. <laughs> Oh, so the do you know? Do you know what year that was? Did that, you mention it? Yes, I, in seventy-five. Seventy-five. All right. Mm-hmm. So the love interest in an American in Paris was an up-and-coming French gal. Now, American in Paris was actually her film debut, and uh, Miss Leslie Caron was all of nineteen. And she would appear in six films over the next five years, including with Fred Astaire in 55, Daddy Longlegs. And uh, it was sort of a family opera story where she had uh, somebody that was interested in her talent. So he was mm-hmm. he was paying for her schooling. And in 64, Leslie Caron starred with Cary Grant in a film called Father Goose. And this was uh, about a pilot that was stationed at a remote island during World War II. And his job was spotting airplanes. Now, in 65, Leslie Caron starred in A Very Special Favor. This movie starred heartthrob Rock Hudson in Charles Boyer. And that, uh, just to drop a few more names here, and in 66, Leslie was in a film called Promise Her Anything, and it had Mr. Warren Beatty. All right. So she really, um, she, um, Kelly discovered her in Paris. She was a ballet dancer. And one of uh, the things that Kelly was interested in throughout most of his creative career was was ballet and how to bring it into his American productions and well I mean American in Paris has a great deal of ballet in it and um, he just loved bringing that aesthetic into it so Leslie Crowe was a dancer but there she was uh, as she went along, she kind of became a Hollywood star, and she just did some plain old acting in other movies. So uh, this is Cronhaven's um, uh, uh, favorite, Oscar Levant. Oscar Levant, uh, this was his 10th movie. He was the buddy character in the movie, and he had some great scenes. He was very lovable. And he would play off of all the things that were going on between his good friend, Gene Kelly, and uh, and other characters in the movie. He was often caught in between. Uh, but he did have one uh, solo musical number where he was playing the piano. And, you know, DJ, I thought, okay, uh, you know, they're faking his piano. But then... He did the solo, and unmistakably, he's playing that damn piano. Mm-hmm. Um, so he obviously had musical ability. That was really him playing that number. 
Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen An American in Paris, it was a, a rather fun little daydream scene when he's having his solo, because in the end, he's sort of patting himself on his back, because everyone who's in the, the concert hall is him. <laughs> yeah, he's basically fantasizing about when he makes it big, <laughs> and uh, it's a really great scene. He's a very endearing character in that movie. Um, so... Uh, DJ, let's just go through uh, some of the writers and and the the director. Um, who wrote it, DJ? Okay. Well, uh, the person behind the story of an American in Paris was a writer named Alan J. Lerner. Now, Mister Lerner did some other work, including. Uh, Gene Kelly's counterpart, Mr. Fred Astaire, he wrote a film in 51, was Royal Wedding. And uh, a few years later, he did a film that had Gene Kelly in it, called Brigadoon, that was a musical. And then, of course, in 64, he did a film that was, uh, in t- well, at least Julie Andrews was in the uh, the theater production but uh, the screen role went to Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady in 64. There you go. The director was Vincent Minnelli. Now, Min- Vincent Minnelli, the Minnelli, 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 you know that name. Who was Vincent Minnelli? Well, famously. Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S. There you go. Famously, <laughs> the father of Liza Minnelli. Uh, he was married to Judy Garland for a time. And. Um, uh, they had a child, and it was Liza and uh, Vincent Minnelli. Now, he was another guy that, that started small time, but eventually made it to uh, Chicago and then eventually Broadway, Radio City Music Hall. And um, he started out in set design and worked his way up to stage director. Um, that's how he began his career. But he was, um, he was, his main love was music. And uh, he started to direct musical reviews. Um, and there were many. And again, you know, as he went along, he became mixed up in Hollywood. And before you know it, he was doing movies um, like Cabin in the Sky in 1943. I doed it. That was with Red Skelton. Meet me in St. Louis. You've all heard of that one. Strike up the band. Um, we're talking a lot of stuff with Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. Also, the the Busby Berkeley films. Um, of course, that's where he met Judy Garland and fell in love with her and all that. Um, and um, and. Uh, Vincent Minnelli went on to do an American in Paris, 51 Brigadoon in 54, Kismet in 55, Gigi, I love Gigi in 58. Um, and then he he didn't just do musicals. He did Madame Bovary, Father of the Bride, uh, The Bad and the Beautiful, Lust for Life. Designing Woman, The Courtship of Eddie's Father. That was all the way in 63. Now, Toppy, he, Vincent Minnelli did one of my favorite comedies. Really? And uh, has our favorite 
Redhead New Yorker. Do you know which yeah. film I'm talking about? Well, uh, I know uh, probably it was with uh, Lucy. Uh-huh. And I think James Mason was in it as her guardian angel. Ah, uh, what was it called? Long, long trailer. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> did he really, he directed that? He did. It was a favorite because uh, my by the time I was born, my grandparents had retired and uh, they were snowbirds, as we like to say up here in the north. So uh, it, the long, long trailer was very endearing because, of course, it was about a couple that was going to be uh, living on the road. And, of course, Lucy mm-hmm. uh, was what we call nowadays a hoarder because she collected everything and weighed the trailer down. Yeah. Well, it was that movie that sort of proved to Hollywood and um, that that. Uh, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball could carry a comedy, and it's what started their TV series off with. This movie, DJ, mm-hmm. it was my first time. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I was surprised how much I liked it. Um, what's your history with this movie? This is mm-hmm. something you chose. It is. Now, of course, uh, for those of you who follow my solo show, Surely You Jest, um, you'll know that there's a, a little reasoning behind why I chose an American in Paris to to set us off into the sunset for the summer, because this is our summer finale. We're going to say goodbye for just a little over a month. We'll be coming back after the next holiday. But uh, an American in Paris uh, was something I chose because Gene Kelly was an important actor in my father's childhood, and we recently lost a family member here at Chateau Star Sage, um, my best friend of 10 years, who plainly put was a kitty cat, but in reality had way more personality than any other animal I've known. And because ah. the only other uh, pet that I had was a dog that I named after... Um, Dorothy's slippers, Judy Garland's character in The Wizard of Oz. We, we, I named her Ruby. Well, I decided that if my only kitty cat that I had ever had at that point in my life was going to be friends with a pet of mine that had passed on, he would have to be named after Judy Garland's best friend. And so the, the shortened version of the story, uh, what do they say, a long story not so short, is that uh, I gave my kitty cat Oliver Gene Kelly's birthday because I wasn't his first owner. So uh, American in Paris I chose because uh, it's a beautiful film. It has a very mi- a lot of uh, love and romance. And uh, it depicted Gene Kelly in his prime. So I wanted to remember my kitty cat Oliver now that it's been a couple of months and things are starting to get a little easier uh, by... Uh, discussing a film about Gene Kelly in his prime. All right. Very nice. Uh, DJ, I got to say, um, my favorite scene in this movie is uh, when Leslie Crone and, and um, Gene Kelly walk down the sort of cement, these cement steps and they're by a canal and in the background is a bridge and they're sort of like they're sort of like just talking, but they're sort of falling in love. And the mood of that piece 
and that beautiful, beautiful set all on stage impressed the hell out of me. It looked like it was night. It was supposed to be night, and it looked like night, and it's technicolor, and it looked like night. And But when you look at the scenes where they're close to a wall and you see there's the shadows that they're casting, you realize, holy S, that's a powerful lot of light that is shining on them, mm-hmm. which, which Technicolor needed. Nonetheless, with filters and with just skill, they made it look like night. And that really impressed me. It's so moody. They had lovely, these wonderful painted backdrops. Actually, they were used through the course of the entire film. Just an amazing use of painted backdrops. And then they used real water to have light (laughs) jingling around the way water will do to light. Anyways, just outstanding. And then they sing and they dance on this set. Uh, That was my absolute favorite. Now, Gene Kelly, uh, after... (sighs) Singing in the Rain, after American in Paris. He was one of the first choreographers, dancers, to bring all of this kind of thing outside of the studio and use real locations, um, which is infinitely harder to do because the whole idea on a set with controlled lighting is it's controlled. (laughs) That's why it was used. They could control the lighting um, when you went outside, the freaking clouds would come over and then the sun was hot and then the, but it was horribly more difficult and expensive, but it was the way things were going and, and Gene Kelly knew it. And he took as, as much as, you know, American in Paris relied on these, these old style sets with painted backdrops. He, he knew he had to go beyond that and he took it out into the real world in later films. But these sets, I just loved in this movie. Now, Toppy, we were talking about moments in the film that, you know, were special. Now I'm probably going to have a maybe unpopular, but maybe uh, sort of a modern opinion. Um, okay. You know, you, you've got an American, uh, you know, soldier who uh, stayed behind and he's falling for a local girl. Okay. And, you know, maybe you're not supposed to pay any attention or that much attention to the fact that he's old enough to be her father. Nowadays, that's a little less acceptable. But um, I don't know about you, but I had a, a, a special interest. Like, uh, I felt attached to one of the other characters more and I would like to have seen something more have happened to the woman who bought his paintings Milo (laughs) oh my goodness this lady she had it all in my opinion and uh, I think that uh, Jerry Maguire you know um, Gene Kelly's character there was uh, a little off his wagon to pass her up because she had smarts. She had money. Okay, maybe it was daddy's money, but she still had money and she had uh, little looks too. I well, mean, but but he, but when he thought he lost Leslie Caron, he mm-hmm. went right to her. 
true, but um, you know, some of the things that have been commented in reviews of this film, you know, that it's many years later, is there's a mysterious uh, departure during the course of the film where you don't see the character of Milo anymore. And it's at the party, that wonderful party where there is the high contrast outfits in black and white that look like they could even be worn today. And she's standing at the bar and she's having a drink. And the man behind the bar is his friend, the pianist. And uh, he he's basically talking about his friend's new investor. And she's got more money than cents. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she walks away because her feelings have been hurt. But I, I, I say that I find her interesting because if you think about the times when they were at the club in the beginning of the film after she'd bought his paintings, they were talking about the fact that she'd been married once before, but her husband walked out on her, basically. Well, mm-hmm. if you think about this, she's an American woman. But she's in Paris, so that means she made a choice to stay there. She's living a life that she couldn't have enjoyed as a single woman in the 50s in America. She is playing the field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and she's playing it with um, much younger men or what, what she can find. She's, she's attracted to these artists that she's sponsoring. She's... She, it's usually a friends with benefits situation. Um, you know, this whole movie is a little weird <laughs> in this whole way when we look back on it. First of all, Leslie Crone. Uh, okay, I'm going to marry this guy, but I'm really in love with Jim Kelly, but that's okay. I'm going to go with this guy. Uh, then Jim Kelly, I mean, just sort of, uh, there's no real depth into why he likes Leslie Corona or falls in <laughs> love with her. Uh, and there's, you know, there, there's Milo. Uh, the whole thing is, is, is kind of weird. And, you know, okay, maybe we didn't really pay as much attention back when this was made about the age difference. Because, you know, you, you want a young wife if you want to have a family. She's got to be a certain age before she can, you know, have kids. But yeah. what, what weirds me out is the fact that, okay, Gene Kelly's already old enough to be her father. But she admits that the man she's going to be marrying is someone she's known for years. Now, I don't know if she's supposed to be the age the actress is, but the actress is 19. And if the man who she's marrying has been in her, around her family for the last five years, that meant he met her when she was 14. Ew! Oh, it's mentioned in the movie. Oh, she was very, very young, you know, and then she grew up. And I, I was just sitting there going, this is weird. This is uncomfortable. This is crazy. Odd. Anyways, you know, we got to look back um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm not too impressed with cancel culture, kids. Uh, I don't I don't feel the need to erase this movie because it's offensive in today's standards. Um, but that's something else altogether. I, I choose uh, to believe that Leslie Caron is not the age that her character is. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I don't know. It was all odd. But of course, it's gay Paris. And, uh, oui, uh, oui. Yeah, 
Well, think back to the scene and the choreography in, in the, the, the party by the students when they're all wearing black and white costumes. Oh, yeah. I love that scene. And jumping from the balcony and just drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some scenes in Paris at the time that were very much like that. Uh, it was all, it was quite decadent. Uh, anyways, uh, we do have to wrap this up very we soon. Sure TJ. do. Now, uh, I just want to go through a short, quick list here because not long ago, last year, we wound down the summer starting off with Moulin Rouge, our first musical, I think. And that was set in Paris. And Toppy, there's some other films that were set in Paris. Do you want to go over those for me? So we got uh, my one of my favorites, Charade. With Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, there was French Kiss. That was quite more recent with Meg Ryan and Kevin Klein in 95. A wonderful, strange uh, movie called Frantic in 1988 with Harrison Ford. Uh, Way back, well, the the whole, uh, all the versions of Phantom of the Opera were in Paris. Uh, A 1998 movie with Robert De Niro called Ronan. Back in 53, gentlemen prefer blondes. So, yeah, France was a, um, you know, a place people, you know, it was a destination. It was a, uh, America regarded France as as, uh, quite sophisticated and artistic. And uh, that gentleman prefer blondes is where the uh, Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend song is performed first. That was later redone by Nicole Kidman in the the, uh, jukebox musical Moulin Rouge that we talked about last year. So, all right, Toppy, um, there's just a a smidgen of the show left before we say goodnight and goodbye for the remainder of the summer. And uh, there's some other programs you might enjoy if you liked American in Paris. So I'll go ahead and uh, tell folks what I think they should dabble their their uh, intellect into. There is a musical from the 50s, the decade that American Paris came out. And uh, it was at the later end of the decade there in 57. And this starred everyone's favorite wholesome gal, Doris Day, in the pajama game. There you go. And she did do some musicals. Cronhaven in the chat room says Leslie Caron's character also loved Fred Astaire in a different movie. Hmm. As long as you are an adult, age is just a thing. Uh, that's certainly true. And uh, Gene Kelly himself uh, must have uh, agreed with you, Cronhaven, because his his uh, his last wife, DJ. Um, was how how old? Oh, she was uh, several decades his junior. Um, Kelly Ward, Kel, or sorry, Lisa Ward Kelly was in her thirties when she met Gene Kelly, and he was seventy-seven at the time. Now, uh, she actually, uh, of course, survived him, and to this day is still making appearances to speak about his legacy. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, trying to be coy, but uh, obviously their relationship was important, and she never did remarry, and she's basically dedicated her life to preserving his memory. So my recommendations are, <clears throat> for heaven's sakes, uh, Jeepers Creepers, if you haven't seen it, for God's sake, see Singing in the Rain, 
it was a less successful movie in terms of dollars and cents, believe it or not, than American in Paris. But over the years, Singing in the Rain has replaced American in Paris as the, well, just the movie people think of when they think of Gene Kelly and the phenomenal number where he is singing in the rain. The other movie I want to mention is, is a movie Gene Kelly directed, and it stars Jackie Gleason in a very different role than you're used to. It was in 1962. It was called Gijo. Gigo, or Gig. It certainly wasn't Gigot, for God's sake. It must have been Gigo. <laughs> Again, a movie that uh, took place in France. Jackie Gleason portrayed a, 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 I think, deaf and dumb, or at least somebody who couldn't talk, and it was a story conceived by Jackie Gleason himself, and it was a movie he had dreamed of making for years and years, and he finally had a chance. Uh, originally, he wanted Orson Welles to direct, but uh, he wound up with Gene Kelly directing. And if this is not considered a great movie, but I've seen it, and it's oddly affecting, and Jackie Gleason is oddly affecting, and I've just sort of always remembered it. So here, it's just an example of a movie Gene Kelly directed. 1962, it was Gijo, Gigo, Gijo, G-I-G-O-T, 1962. Both Gleason and Kelly were disappointed in the results because the producers made about 40 cuts and changes without even telling them. So they sort of like said, well, forget it <laughs> because it, they felt like it wasn't their movie anymore but still i just got a thing for that movie hmm all righty so for those of you who uh stick around during the summer particularly if you uh participate in our facebook group uh, Toppy and I are planning a get-together or two online. We're going to be watching some films this summer, and we hope that you'll choose to join us. If you uh, aren't already in our Facebook group, go ahead and do a search for Matinee Minutia. You can spell that, M-A-T-I-N-E-E, Minutia, M-I-N-U-T-I-A-E, and uh, join our group, and uh, we will discuss what's to come and uh, plan things out so and uh, that was the uh, whenever you're away from me wherever you go from Xanadu one of the films that we hope to watch this summer I love Gene Kelly I have a whole new respect for the guy um, after watching this movie and I want to see more of his movies so I hope you guys all feel the same and um and this is uh, our, our fond farewell for the summer. We'll be back in a couple months to start, for goodness sake, season three. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Our webpage is matineeminutia.com. We stream live on univazpods.net on the first and third Friday of each month at 9 p.m. Eastern. Please.
please join us for season three, which will begin after the Labor Day holiday in September, tentatively slated for the third Friday of the uh, 18th of the month there. So thanks for joining us. Oliver. This has been an Alibug production. Chubb's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net.